Alright, how cool is that? Um, you know, when, when we heard um, that that happened to Martin, you know, that, that, that's a miracle. It is a miracle. When we heard that, um, I was just so encouraged. Yeah, because it makes me believe for more. It makes me believe that um, maybe my situation or my family situation or people within the church, their family situation, that a miracle can happen for them. You know, I, I don't ever want to become a person that doesn't, that stops believing. I don't ever want to become a person that says it is what it is. You know, I believe that God can, does, and he will bring glory to his own name by bringing healing to people. It says in the Bible that uh, healing is a testimony to who God is. I don't know about you, but I was in tears. I had tears. Shelby had tears, I heard. Yeah, you made people cry, Martin. And you, apparently you're about to cry as well. But it's, um, that's it. It's all about stories. Your story is so important to this church. Um, I heard something yesterday. Uh, Sarah and I, we went and did a cap money training course. Yeah, so basically what we're going to be doing towards the end of this year, starting next year, is we're going to be providing free, a free three, four-week course uh, on budgeting and debt management for anyone who's struggling with finances. And it's not just for the church, it's for the whole community. And um, we're there, and one of the things that the, the guy was saying is that um, he's talking about how do we find like, wholeness? What does this world need to survive, to thrive, to grow? And he boiled it down to two points, is forgiveness and friendship. Forgiveness and friendship. You know, these things are so important, what we have here. Jesus exemplified forgiveness by dying on the cross. But we also call Jesus, we're called friends of God. How do we show that to other people? Friendship and forgiveness. And I think it's um, so amazing and so important that if you're here, that we lock in and say that I'm here and I want to know people. It's not about... It's not about um, how much you know, but how, who knows you. Every person wants to be known. I don't know about you, but when people say my name, Andrew, it validates me, makes me believe that I am a person, that I'm worth something. So every single person here, you're, you're valued. Your story is so important. We're so thankful that you're here. And this isn't in the book of Romans. So it's, um, we'll go there. But I just wanted to say, I'm so thankful for every single person here. I know you a little bit, some more than others. I'm so thankful to be journeying with you. Um, right now, we have uh, a few people away. Um, Richard and Joanne, my mom and dad, they're at a different church preaching. So we're, we're sending them out and preaching. We have, um, unfortunately, Tim and Louis, uh, Cherie, sorry, Tim and Cherie are over in uh, Singapore. Um, uh, Cherie's um, sister-in-law passed away from cancer. So please, if, you, uh, if you're in contact with them, um, send them some, them some support, you know, pray for the family. You know, Lockie and Zoe are visiting some family over uh, in Adelaide. T- uh, Caitlin and Tyler, like I said, got married. You know, there's everyone that you don't have to be here to be part of the family. So we're so stoked that you're here today. All right, the Book of Romans. I'm going to do a quick recap because... I talked so much just then about something else. The book of Romans is one of the most profound books in the Bible. The book of Romans, we started this journey last week, and I believe it's so important that alongside seeing the miraculous happen, that we actually are grounded within the Word of God. Because the Word, word, the word of God and miracles complement each other. 
If you can't, if you see something happen that doesn't really happen in the Word of God, I would question it. So that it's so important that we believe for the miraculous, but we are so grounded within the Word of God. And so Romans, someone got a text. It wasn't me. Um, the book. <laughs> it's all right. Don't worry. You shared your testimony. You get you get off free this time. But <laughs> the book of Romans. Is so powerful. And like I said um, last week, we're going to be preaching through the book of Romans, but we're going to have some guest speakers coming one-off throughout this time because it's quite a long book. But my message last week was actually an introduction to the book itself as opposed to unpacking scripture. So um, we, we actually created a bit of context to it. Uh, before we get into that, the next slide, please. Um, on our Freedom Family page, if you want to follow us along this journey. This is created by the Bible Project, and it's, it's in better resolution when you download it, um, but it, this is basically to tell you and help you go through the Book of Romans with us so you can learn what the different contexts and scriptures and passages are actually um, ap- applicable to. And I just think this is so nice because um, at last week, at the end, I said basically the theme of Romans is that the Gospel reveals God's righteousness creates a new humanity, fulfills God's promise to Israel, and unifies the church. That is the theme of the book of Romans. But we're going to go and unpack it a little bit more, because we all know that a Malteser is nice and chocolatey on the outside, but when you get on the inside, that's the good stuff. Who likes Maltesers? Uh, for those who don't like Maltesers, we all know that caramel chocolate's nice on the outside. But when you get on the inside, you get the good stuff, the caramel. Anyway, so just a quick recap, if you can chuck that up, please. Caleb. No, that's not it. All right, so the mini recap is um, that the Romans uh, uh, is actually a letter written by a man named Paul. So it's not poetry, it's not um, historical narrative, it's a letter. So think about you writing a letter to someone. Um, it is written to the churches in Rome to circulate among themselves. It is an introductory letter from Paul to the Roman church. So Paul didn't actually know the Roman church yet. He was introducing himself. Um, and we can tell this because the language used is quite impersonal. Uh, it's very intellectual. And it's actually, Paul's letters are an average of 1,300 words. This letter was 7,000 words. So it's very matter of fact. It was very intellectual. Um, and the pure focus of this was the gospel. He wasn't addressing pastoral issues, but he was just preaching and sharing the gospel. So it was written to the Roman church, actually, um, because they're actually a central location in Europe. And if you've heard of the term before that all roads lead to Rome, that's because literally all roads did lead to Rome because they created roads. They created this, um, the actual um, proper roads as opposed to just pathways. And so uh, he's... He's going because uh, writing to them because they're an epicenter, and they're actually very central to Europe, and they're a gateway to Spain, so they could actually travel across to Spain. And if we look at the the, um, the picture Bible project, you can see right here they travel across from the boot to Spain, and so there's this strategy behind it as well. But above it all, as well, Paul's writing to exhort and encourage the church. Why? Because Rome. Because Rome was the epicenter, Rome had a lot of stuff going on in it. It was a bit of a cesspool of um, cultures, different people. Um, 
different, um, I guess you would say, sad, um, not sad, behavioral indifferences towards the gospel. That's a very diplomatic way of putting that, you know. But there's the, the political and social climate of Rome was very um, contentious at the time. And so what Paul was doing was writing not to address them, but to remind um, the Roman church about the gospel and that the gospel is what unifies every generation, every nation, like the song we sang before. And so that's just introduction to it. And we're going to be breaking down the Romans into uh, verses because when you write a letter, I don't know if you've ever written a letter before and you've uh, chaptered it. And then you've put verses in your, verse numbers in your letter. Who's ever done that before? No one does. You've done that. Okay, sorry. Like, but no, it's not usual practice to then write, Hey, Odette, it's great to see you, chapter two. I wonder how your trip to Europe was, verse four. You know, it's not a typical thing to do, but this was actually created by someone for convenience, for convenience by a man named Stephen Langton in AD 1227. So he divided the Bible into chapters and it was further divided into verses by a man, a French printer named Robert Stephanus. And he divided the verses for his Greek New Testament into chapters. And it was actually the New Old Testament was done by a, a Dutch um, priest later on in time. So it's, it started off as a letter, but then it got divided and for convenience sake. So we're doing the same thing. We're going to go through, for convenience sake, different uh, in sections. So this week, what we're going through is, next slide, please. Verses 1, chapter 1, verses 1 to 17. And what I've done is I've broken it down and showed you what um, is made up of it. So the prologue, so the introduction and whatnot, is made up of a greeting. Hey, how you doing? Prayer Thanksgiving. I pray that you're going well. Dot, 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 etc., etc. Pray that you have many children. Dot, dot, dot. Abundance of children. All right. And then the next part is the righteousness of God. Who wants an abundance of children in Freedom City? Yes, go on. Wife? Yes. <laughs> Let's build this church. Let's build this. What? So I'm going to read to you from the, the ESV because I believe that is the, the version that God wrote himself. Uh, sorry, I'm not reading the ESV. I'm reading the NIV, apparently. <laughs> so I chose NIV. And, all right. So God did, like, it works. NIV, that's the one you have. So the NIV, if you want to pop it up there, and I'm going to read it for you. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Just remember the sections, how it was actually put uh, in different sections. Um, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the holy scriptures concerning the son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship. Oh, it is ESV. Sorry. Um, uh, grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, 
whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that you somehow by God's will I may know now at last succeed in coming to you. Next slide. For I long to see that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. The righteous shall live by faith, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God <clears throat> for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it, in it the righteousness of God is revealed for, from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Would you like me to read it again? No? Okay. I'm going to do something which I love to do, and people get excited when they do this. I'm going to go get a whiteboard. Yeah. So we're going to go and break down section by section this section. And if you can't see, I apologize. Um, so what we're going to break down first of all is the greeting. And if we look at the greeting um, in the next slide, it's verses 1 to 7. And the introduction provides some general notes about Paul. Uh, he introduces his apostleship here. And the introductory notes about the gospel he wishes to preach to the church at Rome. Jesus, uh, it talks about Jesus' uh, line, how he stems from David. Um, and Paul does not limit his ministry to the Jews, but he, uh, he, his goal is that the Jews and Gentiles would both hear the gospel. So if we look at verse 1 up there, it says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. If we actually um, look at this, um, he... he he usually starts off each letter introducing himself. But if we look at this, he calls himself, uh, in some versions, a slave. I am a slave to the gospel. I am a slave uh, of Christ Jesus. And if you actually look at the word slave, slave is the same Old Testament word for bond servant. So, slave and bond servant. Turn up my voice. Okay. No, it's fine. It's fine. I like the ambience. The Holy Spirit's here. Um, so, <laughs> Paul says that I am a slave to Christ Jesus. Who has ever gone around and said to someone that I am a slave to my wife? I have never said that. I will never say that. No, I would never say that because it's not, it's just not my thinking. But if we look here, Paul was saying that I am a slave and the bond servant in the Old Testament is seen as a loyal slave, a servant, someone who's loyal to their master. So when he's calling himself a slave, this declaration was basically saying, and we all, we all hate this word, that he would obey God, that he would obey God, wherever he says he should do, or what he should do, or where he would go. But he is so, uh, he's so, what's the word, sure about this, he would actually call himself a slave or a servant. That his obedience is like that. 
So he's basically coming to them and saying, I will obey God maybe more than all of you. And it, it, he wanted to get across also this word apostle. And if you, if you see the word apostle, what we've done is we've taken it from Corinthians, the, the gift of apostleship. But back in the day, as soon as when Jesus passed away, apostle was actually disciple, one of the 12 disciples. Apostle was not the gift of apostleship, which we hear about later on, but it was actually, he was basically saying, we used to have 12 disciples, one disappeared, but now I'm the complementary, I'm the one that's been added in. So I am an apostle. So this gives me authority. It gives me authority. What I'm about to say, you, say to you carries weight. And so it's basically, he's calling himself the I am apostle, set apart for God. You know, in the, in, uh, the word for set apart is actually, um, we, it's actually taken from the word holy. Holy means set apart. And so he's saying, I am an apostle, holy, set apart to bring you the news that I am bringing you, to bring you um, the gospel of God. So he's basically coming to them and saying, this is, these are my credentials. This is who I am. So uh, you need to listen to what I'm saying. Because the thing is, if we hear it before, this is an introduction letter. You know, after a while, when you get to know someone, you just know their background. You know who they are. But this is an introduction letter. But this is why it's so important, because this letter is probably the most applicable letter um, to our current society. Because of the truth and the simplicity and the purity of the gospel. So what he's saying is, I'm a slave to Christ. I'll do anything. and I'm an apostle. Listen up, peeps. And so he goes on in verse 3 and 4 and says, it, it basically says the two verses show what the good news is. And, and it's the Christians in Rome would have known these facts already because if they're a church, they would have been um, preaching something. So what he's doing, he's coming and he's sharing with them concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. He's coming to them and sharing with new, news with them to be able to um, connect with them, give them credentials, but then partner and say, I believe the same thing that you believe now listen up to what I'm going to tell you more. So this is, I'm glazing over this, but this, we could spend hours upon hours upon just these first few verses. But what's happening here is Paul's coming along and he's saying that I, I believe what you believe. These, what we all believe is taken from some early Christian belief because we're in the, what we call the New Testament age, but this was written, a lot of things that they believe came from the Old Testament age. And he said, I believe what you believe. And it says, like one example we have here is, the, um, it says David, who was descended from David. Do you know that uh, Jesus is in direct lineage from King David in the Bible? So he's coming and he's saying to them, that is, I'm coming to you and sharing news with you about Jesus. He's come from the direct line of David. And if you were here last week, I went into more detail about it. But the reason why he shares this letter and talks about David is because David was significant to the Jewish people. This letter that he's written was written to a church that was made up of Jewish and Gentiles, people who God had chosen beforehand to be his holy people and people who Jesus brought in through his holiness. And so what's happened is he's writing this letter to hit not just one, uh, not one bird, but two birds with one stone. And so he's using a language that basically says that David would actually be significant to the Jews 
probably didn't mean that much to the Gentiles, but it brought them onto the same page. Because there's a tension between the Jews and the Gentiles within the Roman church. Because in our, there's a, a, a Claudius was an emperor. He kicked out 40,000 Jewish people from Rome at one point. He just said, you're banned, you're banished from Rome. And then uh, Nero came back later, not Nero, so, um, so another emperor came back later and said, these guys are very savvy with their business. They bring them the money in. Let's bring them back in. And so what's happened is they've been kicked out of um, Rome and the Jewish people took over, uh, the Gentile people took over the church and started running the church. And then what happened is uh, this emperor brings them back in and now there's a tension because who's running the church? You know, who is the leader of the church? And Paul's saying, well, you know, it's, this hits both of you because David leads to Jesus, but the language and the history brings the Jewish people in because they respect David, whereas the Gentiles, the Gentiles, the Gentiles, that's, that's what we call them now, the Gentiles respect and love and honor Jesus. Does that make sense? So what's happening is he's using this language so inclusive. This is why this is one of the most profound books ever written. And then he talks about the Son of God. The resurrection was actually evidence that Jesus was God's Son. And so this is, once again, his credentials that he's saying. Because he was an apostle, it says, he says that um, he would not leave the Holy One in the grave. And the apostles were actually witnesses to the resurrection. And so this is basically saying that I'm an apostle. Even where you can might say, when did Paul actually join the posse? You know, it's like, uh, even though he, he's saying that I am an apostle and we can question the timeline, he's saying there's an authority because I've actually seen the resurrected Christ myself. So what I'm doing is I'm coming to you and sharing with you this truth. Can you, can you see my authority? I'm a slave. I'll do more than you will do. I'm an apostle. I've been brought into that, that the, the, one of the twelve. And I was actually one of the ones who saw Jesus rise from the dead. You know, so this is all evidence to basically say to the, the church of Rome, what I'm going to say is very important. And we've only gone to verse 4. This is how rich the word of God is. But if we actually go on a little bit further and, and we see here that Jesus Christ, Christ was a very significant word for the Jewish people. Um, because Christ was who was promised to the Jewish people in the Old Testament. So what happens is, is, is the Messiah, and the word Lord would actually mean more to the Gentiles. Because we, we almost had like a, a bit of a, um, an imbalance. A lot of the Gentile Christians were actually slaves as well. And so their understanding of the word Lord would be my master, whereas the Jewish people understand of the word Christ is Christ is Messiah. So he then goes and says, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then what happens is they all go, wow, this is important. We are brought in, we are understanding the same letter written to two different contexts and histories at the same time. I'm getting excited. Are you getting excited? This is how profound the word is. And then we go on, <coughs> sorry, we go on further. And the, the word Lord uh, uh, was also the usual translation of the, um, the God's special name in the Old Testament. So even though it hit the Gentiles, it hit the Jews again. 
So it's just so profound. It's just so inclusive, so uh, consolidatory. Consolidatory. It consolidates stuff. (laughs) So verse 5, and then grace is a gift that nobody deserves. You know, you know, I don't know what your understanding of grace is, but I didn't earn grace. It's, it means unmerited favour, some translations. I don't know about you, but one, one of my understandings of grace, and I, I've, I've simplified this, and it's not biblical, but it's kind of like, um, you know how you walk along a pathway and you see a coin on the floor and you pick it up? It's almost like the coin's always been there, but you might just be the sucker that was looking down at your shoes and saw the coin as you walked past. You know, grace is for everyone. It's there for everyone to receive. But sometimes just our circumstances and whatnot actually cause us to be the ones who receive it. You know, grace is not something that you earn. You didn't put the coin there to pick up. You, didn't, you did nothing to earn it. You just happened to be the person who kind of stumbled along and saw it. You know, so grace, and this is what Paul is getting across here, is that all these things that I am sharing with you is these are not of my own efforts. Because Paul was actually um, Jewish background. He knew the law. He knew um, the Jewish history. But he didn't earn it. He didn't do anything. He actually left that life behind to live a life of grace, live a life that was saved by Jesus Christ. So Paul was not wanting to praise himself. He didn't want people to praise him either. He just wanted people to, to say, hey, what I'm about to tell you, what I'm telling you is so important because it's going to help you in your current context. You know, who's ever had a situation where it's like, God, I just wish you would speak to me about what I'm going through. I'm going through something hard. How do I respond to it? This is like Paul, what Paul's doing here. So you have situations, you have issues, but just hear what I'm saying to you. So, so often what we try and do is we try and acclimatize the gospel and the truth of God to our situation. And we kind of say, This is our situation. How does God fit into it? Whereas more so, it's actually we're in God's situation. How does we're in God's word? How does our situation fit into His truth? This is what Paul is saying. And if you're convicted, great. That's good. That's good. I like conviction. It means that you can grow. Um, Then we go on to verse seven because we can literally skip over verse six because. a lot of, there's a lot of Gentiles in Rome. Um, most of the Christians in Rome were probably Gentiles. Like I said, there's only a, a, a colony of 40,000 Jewish people in Rome um, at, at the point they got kicked out. When we go into verse 7, and this is interesting because actually Rome wasn't actually, wasn't, the word Rome wasn't included in all the manuscripts. So this, this is interesting, but this is some, that's for another day. But in verse 7, it's talking about... To, um, Grace and peace from God our Father and, and to Lord Jesus. And it says, who are loved by God and called to be saints. Um, the Jewish people in that situation would have said, we were called. We were called. We were called. We are the holy people of Israel. We were called. And straight away, it's like, you know when you're in an argument and it's kind of like, well, actually, this is what the person said to me. And then you, you go back and it's like, well, this is what they told me. And it's kind of like this... Paul was trying to diffuse this, and this is very relevant for us now. Paul was trying to diffuse this belief that because I am Christian, I am better than someone else. 
because I was called first the Jewish people, we are better than the Gentiles. But Paul is saying this is not true. You were called first, yes, but you actually stuffed up. You actually were the people who didn't, who didn't follow through with God's plan. So what I'm doing now is I'm going to bring more people into it and we're going to work together. It's no longer one person who's holy because we are now all called holy because of Jesus Christ. All right. Who's he's getting something out of this? That's good. Thanks, Caleb. So, let's move on to the next part. There's, there's a lot more here, but I know we've, we've got time restrictions. Um, you know, everything within these letters is, uh, is purposeful. Don't glaze over it. If you see an, a, a preposition, a pronoun, try and figure out why that, that was in there. Because you know, this is God's word to us. All right, let's move on to the prayer of thanksgiving, which is verses one, uh, chapter 1, verses 8 to 15. So it's very typical for Paul to um, pray a prayer of thanksgiving or encouragement for people in his letters. Uh, but this one, he starts off with a thanksgiving, and he basically says, I'm thankful for my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith has been reported all over the world. How great would it be if someone like Bill Johnson or Brian Houston or um, Charles Spurgeon or Billy Graham um, wrote us a letter and said, hey, Freedom City, how cool is it? Your faith has been heard about around all the world. You know, it's... Um, It'd be a high compliment, but it'd be a high encouragement as well. And what Paul is doing is he's saying, that actually, I'm not just buttering you up. There's actually truth to this. There's truth to this. So their, their faith in the middle of a, a hotbed of um, uh, indifference to the gospel is, is notable. People around the world are hearing about it. And so it's, it's like I was writing a letter to people in New York. You know, it's like, hey... Keep being Christian. You're doing well. Because, you know, New York's good and hectic. But anyway, and he goes on and he talks about uh, verses um, in 9 and 10. He says, Paul prays for the Christians in Rome. Although he had not been responsible for their faith, he also prays that he may be able to visit them so he could impart something to them. And uh, this is something interesting here. He says, he says, I have not been able to go... I've been prevented thus far. This is uh, something we need to understand is that Paul lived a life led by the Holy Spirit. If you want to go to Albany, you can go to Albany. It's not hard. You just travel to Albany. But what Paul's saying is, I could have got there, but God told me it's not the right time. This is very important for us in our lives that we realize that we, God might say something, but his timing might be different. Or we might want to do something, but God might not bless it. We need to live a life led by the Holy Spirit. A life that when God says, stop, you stop. When he says, go, you go. And so this is what Paul is saying. He's getting this across in just like a, a side sentence. Like, I would have come to you, but basically God said, not yet. It says that it's important to live by faith, led by the Spirit. So we then go on into verses 11 to 12. And we actually talked about this at Connect Group. And it's, it's a really interesting one. But it says that Paul wanted to make their faith strong. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. And as I unpack this a little bit, it actually is some spiritual gift 
may not actually mean the gift of the Holy Spirit, as in 1 Corinthians. Um, Paul might not have even known what gift he wanted to impart yet. This is what a lot of theologians and scholars believe, because he didn't know what was going on in the church. He was introducing himself. But what he then goes on to say is that I will come to you and what God shows me, I will teach you. But he was careful not to emphasize himself as the giver. So he corrected what he said by the word saying, that is, that, see up there, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. So he's saying it's not that I'm coming to you just to, to impart something amazing to you. It's actually that we learn from each other. We teach each other because we all are a different picture of who God is. We all are able to bring something to the table. How crazy would it, uh, how, sorry, how underwhelming would it have been if I got up and shared Martin's story? It would, it would have been cool. Oh, that's cool that we heard about it. But because Martin got up and shared it, brought it like almost to the table and said, hey, this is what I'm giving to the potluck. Because he brought it, it brought something with it. It brought that element of God that we were looking for. I'm not saying that it wouldn't with me, but this is why we mutually encourage each other. You know, you can't do church alone. If you see me, but I don't believe in this whole thing of that I don't need to go to church. I don't believe in it. Um, I understand we have the argument that the church is the body of Christ, it's the movement. But it's actually, when we come together, you're going to hear a story from Martin that you wouldn't have heard if you were by yourself at home. And so imagine you're sitting at home and everyone else is hearing it and you're, you come later and it's like, oh, I didn't know anything actually miraculous was going on in the church. You start to create a narrative, a false narrative, a restricted narrative that uses your faith as the plumb line to everything. We need to actually be together and encourage each other. Yeah, I'm, I'm a bit of a sucker for church. I love it. And this verse for us, Megs and I, we sat in a, a Starbucks in Miami um, six months into taking over the church. And we said, why are we doing church? It's so that every person is known. Every person's story will bring something to the table. You know, it's not about me preaching every week. You know, I'm literally just unpacking the Bible. I took notes from commentaries online. <laughs> so you could go and find that yourself. But when we come together, there's unity. And when there's unity, it commands a blessing. When there's blessing, we see amazing things happen. So it's good. So this, this is, and this is a bit of a fun, fun one here. Well, it's not that fun, but I found it funny. Verses 13 to 14, and it says that, um, I do not want to be unaware, brothers, that I have been uh, often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, or that I might reap some harvest among you as well as the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation to both the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So when you read this one, it's kind of like, who's wise, who's the foolish? What's going on? I'm under obligation. Well, Paul, Paul came to them because he, uh, later on because he felt like he needed more time in Greece. That's what the assumption is. That's what scholars say. He didn't come to Rome earlier because he was in Greece at the time and he needed more time there. So he came there later. And if we actually read um, the book, uh, the translation, Greeks didn't mean people from Greece. It didn't actually mean you're Greeks, you're from Greece. It meant those people who spoke the Greek language. 
And it also meant those who followed the Greek culture, which is called Hellenism. It was brought in by the Greek culture. And a lot of our thinking is influenced by Hellenism. And a lot of the narcissistic way we think everything revolves around me. Thank the Greeks for that, by the way. Anyway, but non-Greeks translate the words, uh, non-Greeks is actually translated uh, the word barbarian into the word barbar. Do you know why? Because it was taken from the ancient Greek word barbaros, which means to babbler, uh, means babbler or stammering. So the Greek people, they're calling them uh, foolish, uh, Greeks and barbarians, wise and foolish, because the people speaking Greek in Rome were stammering and sounded like babblers. They didn't sound wise. They didn't sound educated. And so what Paul is saying is, like, I've come for those who... Uh, Educated and those who are uneducated, those who sound eloquent and those who don't sound eloquent, those who speak well and those who babble, uh, babble or stammer. So he's saying, and I'm geeking out a bit here, but it's like I have a duty to every single person, from the leader to the person who comes along once every eight weeks. You know, for the person who has masters and PhDs to the person who didn't finish year 12. You know, we, I have a, a duty to you because you are not qualified or called by the letter. You are not defined by what you have achieved, but because God created you, there's a creative grace inside of you that says that you are worthy, that I've created you for a purpose, and you're amazing, and the gospel is available to you. So when we look at this, we have to be careful because this really says to the Jewish people, shut up. It really says to the Jewish people, you are not better than anyone else. And this is very relevant to us as a church because we in this picture would be the Jews. We are not better than anyone else. We really are. We are the ones who found the $2 coin on the floor. You know, but what we're wanting to do is we're wanting to be unite with absolutely every single person and bring them into this understanding that we are all holy because of God. And to finish up here, you know, the righteousness of God. Paul's announcement that he's not ashamed, which is the Greek is epi skunomai. Say that 10 times fast. Epi skunomai of his gospel because it holds the power of the dunamis. These two verses actually set up the backdrop for the rest of Romans. So we get through the greeting, the prayer of thanksgiving, and it's like, here we are. Here, he knows the, uh, the, the spot T-ball. It's basically setting the T up, putting the ball on, and it's like, all right, have a swing. This section, what we've just read, is going to set up everything. And Paul's words about the gospel in verse 16 were bold and clear. Whatever other people said, Paul declared the gospel. The gospel is essentially God's message. It's a message for everyone from every nation, every generation, every tribe, every creed. You are. The gospel is for you. You know, it's essential because it's powerful. It changes lives. It causes people who are God's enemies to become God's friends. There are other important messages that we teach. You know, we love to teach on money. and We love to teach on sex. And we love to teach on mental health. We love to teach on all these other things that, um, that we think is important. And it is important. But at the crux of it all, if we don't have the message of the gospel down pat, it all unravels and falls apart. So this is what Paul's saying. This is why he doesn't in Romans address anything except for we need God. God gives us a new reality and he unifies the church. You know, 
And the thing is, the gospel didn't impress everyone. People actually said it was too simple. People said that it's, um, it's, it's, it's not difficult enough, it's not eloquent enough, that you just have to believe. And when you're talking about ashamed, it's like you're bringing your thesis, say you're writing a thesis for your, your PhD or master's, and then you come up and you put the thesis down that says, um, one step to finding salvation. Just repent and believe. You're saved by grace through faith. And this is what Paul's doing. He's coming up and saying, hey, this is my thesis. It's simple. I'll unpack it for you. But a lot of people are going to be ashamed of it because we think that when we bring something so important and so special, it should look important and special. But actually, the gospel is not. It is important. It doesn't look special. It actually looks like a man dying on the cross. But he's saying, I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed. This is my little piece. It's like a text message. I'm going to text you the gospel. You know, it's like, I'm not ashamed of it. And he, Paul actually suffered a lot for the, for, the, for the gospel. You know, some people were, the Jewish people were unable to believe that their Messiah would die on a cross. Because their thought of salvation was that um, the Messiah would come and win a governmental war. That the Jewish people would return to the top of the nations. Whereas actually Jesus came and died on the cross to say that you are free from sin. The nations are still intact. They're still doing what they're doing. But that was never the war. That was never the, what I came to do. What I came to do was set you free from that thinking, that patriotism that says that one country is better than the other. I found something out the other day. I'll just wrap up. It's, um, there's more in there, but uh, we've, we've run over time. But one of the words, um, the word Greek for hospitality is actually broken down into two words. It's xenia uh, filio, or filio xenia. Filio and xenia by themselves. Xenia is where we get xenophobia. Fear of strangers, aliens, people not from our country, different to us. Filio is where we get the word brotherly love. Hospitality is one of the gifts of the Spirit and something that we'll go back to do when we have some food together. But it's about we have been called to embrace the stranger with a brotherly love that only, we can only do. We can't agape like Jesus Christ loved unconditionally, but we can love people with a love that brings into family. And the word xenia, uh, philia xenia, doesn't just mean that strangers, it means an immigrant, refugee, alien. The we are called in hospitality by the gospel to bring every single person into the family of Christ, whatever skin, colour, whatever background, gender, sexuality, whatever they believe, they are the family of God. Let's pray.